TGIM Team RE. This is episode 287. Connect. Connect with like-minded individuals as soon as you possibly can. And do not attempt to go at this alone. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Alan. Alan took his last drink on December 23rd, 2019. He is from Atlanta and he is 49 years old. Alan is one of those people that you talk to once and you feel like you've known them for a long time. He is a member of our Cafe RE community and I'm so grateful that he is part of my own journey. He brought his A-game to our chat, and I hope you learn from him as much as I did. Also, I'm super excited to let you all know that registration for our first ever online conference is now live. This event is called Regionals. It was originally planned to be an in-person event. However, due to current events, we've had to shift gears, and we're very excited to bring this to you virtually. This event will be taking place October 23rd and 24th. We will be hosting breakout rooms. We will have workshops, entertainment on both evenings, and some surprises sprinkled in throughout the sessions. The goal of regionals is to come together in spite of all the complications going on around the world and to provide a safe place to facilitate healing while keeping things fun, light, and authentic. This seminar is for Cafe RE members only and will be hosted via Zoom. Registration can be found on our website, www.recoveryelevator.com. And I can't wait to see some of your faces on my Zoom screen because you bet that I will be there on both days. Alrighty, team, let's get to working on finding your better you. This past July, the New York Times published an article titled, Should We Be Drinking Less? And of course, we were very intrigued. As many of you know, for years, the media has shared that drinking moderately moderately meaning one to two drinks a day, can actually benefit our health. I've honestly lost count of how many articles I've bumped into that talk about how drinking one to two glasses of one per day can actually help prevent heart disease. And actually, now that I think about it, I've counted. It's been about 489 articles that try to prove that drinking moderately is healthy. Just as many articles as I've found on how drinking rosé will help me survive motherhood. These articles are, in my opinion, dangerous. There are many gray area drinkers that are out there wondering if they even have a problem or not. And the more moderate drinking is normalized, the harder it will be for those people to reach out and ask for help. And just a quick definition here. I just said gray area drinkers. Gray area drinkers are people who typically haven't had a rock bottom or a major devastating moment due to alcohol. I fell under this category for a while. Nothing in my life was really negative or nothing was being affected by my drinking, but internally, my mental obsession just kept growing and growing and started snowballing. I couldn't necessarily show on my Instagram feed how much I was struggling. So people who knew me and saw me just being a normal drinker in their eyes told me that I was just fine. But the truth came from within. The struggle was real and it was hard to ask for help because of this narrative of how drinking often 
should be and already is normal and now healthy. Anyways, back to the article. I was pleasantly surprised when I started reading and I bumped into the following paragraph, which is at the beginning of the of the article. It says, for many years, the federal government's influential dietary guidelines implied as much, saying that there was evidence that moderate drinking could lower the risk of heart disease and reduce mortality. But now a committee of scientists that is helping to update the latest edition of the Dietary Guidelines for Americans is taking a harder stance on alcohol. The committee said in a recent conference call that it plans to recommend that men and women who drink limit themselves to a single serving of wine, beer, or liquor per day. Do not drink because you think it will make you healthier, the committee says. It won't. And it maintains that drinking less is generally better for health than drinking more. The article goes to later explain how a lot of the studies that were defending that drinking moderately was healthy are actually deeply flawed. They even share how, according to the National Cancer Institute, even one drink a day increases the risk of breast and oral cancer. Boom. Guys, the shift is happening. People are starting to question old narratives around alcohol more and more. Timing is always spot on, and I think this article couldn't have come out at a better time. With COVID still around us and hitting closer to home in many of our cities, mental health issues are rising. People are getting more depressed, people are getting more anxious, and people who struggle with drinking are either pursuing change through attempts at an alcohol-free life or, sadly, just drinking more. We need our media and our culture to shred the shame with us, to share real facts, to remind everyone that alcohol is toxic and that no amounts of it are going to make our bodies better. I'm going to have Katie drop this article that I've been referencing on the show notes for you all to take a read if you want to read the whole thing. And let me know if you have any thoughts around this. As my friend Trisha says on her podcast, No soy un guru. Oops, wrong language. I am not a guru. I just want to get these conversations going. We are all part of this change. All right. Eso es todo. That's my weekly dose of rambles on RE for this episode. And before we hear from Alan, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Alan, how are you? Odette, I am doing fantastic. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much. And listeners, I knew I wanted to have Alan on before 
the secret that I was a new voice was out. It was still, it was still something that we weren't saying out loud. So I messaged Alan and I was like, what's your email, Alan? I, I need to ask you a favor. And I was just tiptoeing around the question. And then when the news finally came out, I was like, Alan, I need you on the podcast. That's why I was reaching out. Yeah. Well, Odette, as you know, before we hit record, we were talking about this was the best kept secret I think I've ever seen. It's very difficult, as you know, to keep a secret these days. And somehow you and Paul were able to keep this secret. So um, congrats for that. And let me just say how excited I am. And I know a lot of the Cafe RE community and the Recovery Elevator community, how excited we are for you and thankful for you to, uh, to take the ball and run with it. Thank you so much, Alan. I'm super grateful that I just know that you all have my back. It just it feels really good. So thank you. And let's get right into it. When was Absolutely. the last time you had a drink, Alan? The, my last drink was on December the 23rd of 2019. So a day before Christmas Eve of last year. What happened the day before Christmas Eve last year? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because that's really where, in a lot of ways, my story begins, Odette. So... On December the 23rd of last year, I had, you know, I had been questioning my use of alcohol for several years and on and off, like many of your listeners and many of your guests on the podcast. Um, and this particular evening, I, I, I drank, uh, some, had some friends over, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a big um, train wreck of an evening, Odette, but it was one that was very profound and something I'll never forget in that I ended up getting incredibly drunk uh, with several friends over wine, whiskey, beer, you name it, and blackout drunk and don't remember um, anyone leaving my house that evening. And we had just moved into the new house, the house I'm in now, and I uh, passed out in a single chair. So imagine a, a living room with one chair in it because we were still in the process of moving. And I passed out in that chair, had spilled a glass of wine, and everyone had left. And my family had gone to bed. Uh, with the exception of one person in my family, my daughter, Morgan, who was at a friend's house. And Morgan came walking in around 11 o'clock. Morgan's 15, by the way. And sees her dad passed out in a single chair with a glass of wine um, spilled. I don't know how long she sat there and looked at me or stared at me, but ended up going to bed as I would have as well. And so I, I wake up at three, four in the morning, obviously feeling like a train had just hit me and I, I stumble up to bed and, and go to sleep. Well, I wake up the next morning, Odette, and, and this is, this is really, again, where my story sort of begins is that, I woke up and vaguely remembered the night before, but my wife immediately told me that Morgan, our daughter, had walked in and seen me uh, passed out in a chair. And Odette, there was a moment, and I'm, I don't know if you've had these before, I'm going to assume you have, but they're very, they're very few and far between in life to where everything sort of flashes in front of you in a moment's notice. So it's like my entire drinking career, you know, all of the parties, all of the good times, all of the bad times, all of the blackouts, all of the making a complete ass, 
all of them came to fruition in that one moment as I was sitting up in bed. And I thought to myself, I wonder what Morgan thought when she walked into that house and sees her dad passed out a spilled glass of wine. Right, Odette? I mean, what, in, that, in that 10 or 15 second span that she stared at me, what do you think was going through her head? I don't, I, I don't want to know, frankly. I since had asked that question to her as part of burning a ship with her, and she told me she thought it was an old man. Oh, wow. She didn't even think it was me. And I'm 49 years old, Odette, so you know I don't consider myself necessarily old, but I'm certainly not who she thought I was at that moment in time. And I just didn't want to live that way anymore, Odette. I just didn't want to live that that way. And, and in that moment, I decided, you know what, this has got to stop. You know, and Paul talks about it, you know, before is this tipping point. And it was so profound, it's hard to put into words. But I had to I had to move on. And I, in that moment, also, though, Odette, I knew that, okay, I, I'd said this before, in other circumstances. So I had the, the as hungover and anxiety-driven as I was in that moment, I said, I got to do things differently. I have to do things differently. And I got to go on the attack. You know, I'd been on the defense and trying to get sober too much. I'd sat on my heels too much. I have to go on the attack and I got to connect. And I got to figure this out because doing it alone ain't cutting it. And wow. so that's when I joined Cafe RE. That day? That day. Amazing. It sounds like you got a Christmas gift that you didn't even know you had asked for in that moment. And I, I always say we, we know what we want. Sometimes we get it in a different delivery or a different presentation. It sounds like you got a huge lesson that day. And also what a force to reckon with is the power of love. And I know family, well, we started a little bit backwards, but I know family, you have a family and that has to be a big part of your why and a big part of your your reason to stop drinking. So on that note, let's let's start with where you're from and tell me a little bit more about your the context of your life. Where are you from? I know you have your daughter, but tell me a little bit more about your family. What do you do for a living? What was your life before all of this? Yeah, so thanks, Odette. I, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, right outside Atlanta, about 45 minutes north of, of Atlanta. I'm 49 years old, as I think I mentioned. Um, I also mentioned my daughter Morgan, but I have two other kids, uh, Chase and Preston, and they're actually triplets, Odette. Wow. So, oh, yes, indeed. Um, I've got uh, three 15-year-olds, and they've just started driving. And so, Odette, if you're ever in the Atlanta area, just watch out because, <laughs> you know— I know we use the term white knuckling in recovery sometimes. I'm white knuckling it when I'm uh, in the passenger seat with them. Oh, my goodness. So, I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're obviously a big part of my story. I've been married to my wife, Lori, for um, almost 18 years. So, you know, I, I, I love them to death. And, and you're right. They are a, a big part of my journey, um, both pre getting sober and as well as post over the last almost six months. So uh, for a living, I, I'm in software sales. So I've been in sales for many years. And, 
you know, what I, we ask this all the time in RE and I know it's a question on the podcast about, you know, what do we like to do for fun? And like many, many guests in the past, you know, I, I am still figuring that out because honestly, everything that I used to associate as fun was the common denominator was alcohol. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to a football game that was fun. It was the drinking before and during the game that was fun. It wasn't going camping that was fun. It was drinking while we were camping is going fun. So I'm still figuring that out. Uh, I love uh, health and fitness. I have a Peloton, which I believe you do too, Odette. Yeah, Peloton buddies. So uh, Peloton is something that I'm, I've am i really enjoyed. And in a lot of ways, that's helped in my recovery journey. I feel like sometimes the instructors are talking directly at me. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, you get you get a blank slate with this. It's a it's an opportunity and you get to make a new identity for yourself. And Alan, you are such a breath of fresh air. I, I mean, when you said your daughter Morgan thought I was an old man. I mean, I've only known you for a couple of months and you are young. You look young now that you've also left the booze. Like you just look vibrant and alive. So I'm sure she obviously can see that as well and and how cool that you get this new opportunity to create a new chapter and a new definition of yourself. So do you feel inspired by that? Oh my gosh, Odette. You know, you mentioned identity and for many years, my, my identity, I think both within my family and outside was a drinker and a big partier and I never wanted the party to end and that that really ended up hurting me and it, and it, it, you know, potentially could have damaged many relationships, including that with my family. So shifting that identity that you mentioned is a big part of this, both externally with people, my friends, my family, others, but also internally. And that's almost even harder as you know. Yeah. there, right? I there, mean, there are times there are I shifts. look in the mirror and go, who is that? <sighs> yeah, there are both shifts internally and externally. And obviously everything that happens inside ourselves then gets reflected. So since you did say this, is, this was part of your identity, drinking and, and always relating leisurely activities to drinking, walk me through your drinking career in life. How did you get started? Was it always a problem? How did it escalate? I know you've been married for you said 18 years. So how did it all progress Mm -hmm. as your life was happening? Yeah. So early on, my story is very similar to the guests that have been on in the past and many within our Cafe RE community. I, I started drinking in high school and which, you know, started out in somewhat of a normal fashion, uh, other than being underage obviously transitioned into college and and the drinking atmosphere within college. I mean, it was uh, college for me in a lot of ways was one big party. And sometimes I look back and go, it was a small miracle that I made decent grades in college. And I had a lot of fun, Odette. I did. I I can't deny that. I can't, I can't deny the good times I had. There's obviously a lot of friends that I, that I made that I'm still very close with today and so I would say that I blended in in terms of my drinking pretty well. Now, you know, in a binge drinking culture, especially in college, blending it isn't very good. Uh, but needless to say, I, I, I didn't really stand out. And I certainly 
didn't recognize any of my drinking tendencies at the time. But I look back now and I can see, you know, I could recall moments that are just were moments of chipping away at this thing called addiction. And I didn't know it. And I, you know, I was building, I was building a house of addiction brick by brick, drink by drink. And I didn't know it. And now, obviously, with clarity and education, you, you look back and you say, huh, you know, I consumed a addictive substance in large quantities at a rapid pace for 30 years. I mean, what did I think was going to happen? Right. It's like we already know the, the end the end of that of that journey and and it's a habit you know i often talk about having conversations with people where they say i don't know when the habit became something that all of a sudden my body was just needing because we do become also our bodies become used to the substance so it goes from a habit and like you said maybe part of what was a a chapter in your life and binging culture in college which is totally acceptable in the eyes of society to how did I get here? So what happened after you graduated? Did you notice you just kind of kept up with the same pace of drinking? I did, Odette. And this is where, in a lot of ways, there were forks in the road, whereas a lot of my friends and, and college buddies, you know, they still drank, but they started to go down more of a traditional path of growing up, getting married or getting a real job. And, you know, I decided to, right after graduation, I moved to Aspen, Colorado for a year. And which was, again, a phenomenal time and experience. You know, I worked in a ski shop and my priorities for that year were as follows, drinking, skiing, and working in that order. And, you know, it was a, whereas college may have been a three to a four night party, this was seven nights a week. And again, building that house of addiction. And I left Aspen, moved back to Atlanta, and kind of got into the real world, if you will, in terms of a career. And this is, while the number of days I drank may have slowed down, this is when I started to recognize, and it was very subtle, but I started to recognize that I was always looking for the next drink, Odette. I was always concerned about where the next drink was going to come from. And what I mean by subtle is, you know, sitting at a restaurant and stalking the waitress or waiter to see when were they coming back. I only had two sips left. My goodness, you know, where are they? That type of activity. Yeah, and tell me something. Where you were having these thoughts of like, maybe, maybe this isn't normal. Once, once you started detecting that you were wanting to catch the next drink before it was even time, but were you also drinking to numb something out or was there ever a reason that you can pinpoint that like, mm -hmm. this is why I was trying to avoid this and that's why I drink? I, it, I have spent a lot of waking hours of debt trying to figure it out. You know, I had a great childhood, so I, I, I can't pinpoint specific traumas and, and things that pinpoint it. But what I will say is I was covering up, in my, in my belief, I was covering up fear. You know, fear was, was consuming me, fear of fitting in, 
fear of getting a good job, fear of making enough money, fear of having uh, meeting the right girl, fear of getting a big house, a big title, you name it. The, the, the fear was, was propelling me. And when I drank, the fear disappeared. It was gone. And I love that you're sharing all of these fears, a.k.a., like Paul and I like calling them uncertainties, being in the unknown, because you said you had a great childhood, and I I share that with you. I I didn't have a lot of trauma growing up, even though my dad is an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic as well, but it it was a great upbringing. I think that what's very interesting of what you're saying is that no matter what your context looks like of life, of growing up, there's a lot of fears like the ones that you just shared that we all share collectively. So that is something that most of us struggle with. You know, we all have needs and and safety needs, financial safety needs and, and wanting to be loved and wanting to fit in. You know, the need for belonging is a huge need that we all have regardless of, of how our life looks like. So it also seems like the fears that you're having are completely human and, Mm-hmm. when drinking works to kind of forget about it, then it works until it doesn't, like we always say, right? You're exactly right, Odette. And it worked for me and, and works for normal, quote unquote, drinkers, because, you know, that first glass of wine, Odette, is, you know, it's great. Hey, that, look, there's no denying that feeling of, of problems and those fears dissipating. The problem becomes, and with me is, I don't. I want that feeling to last. I want it to last. I'm not okay with it going away twenty after twenty minutes. And so, what do I do? I, I, I have another, and then that lasts, and I want it back. And so, I have another, and I'm constantly chasing that feeling. Constantly, it, it's like the old cartoons of a of a dog chasing his tail and will never catch it. And we all know what happens if you continue to chase the buzz. It, it, it becomes too late. And I did that for many years, many, many years. And the chase had to end. It's exhausting, Alan, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. It's, and, I mean, and that's what's so awesome about the recovery community is that we're, we're in this fraternity or sorority where we get that, that statement right there of debt, right? It, and it, it's so true. It is, it is the most exhausting thing I can ever describe. I mean, I feel like it's so exhausting. It also just proves how resilient we are. A lot of the times I feel like we struggle with shame and we give ourselves a hard time if we have slip-ups or people who are day one, day one, day one. But at the same time, I'm like, can you not see the other side of the coin, which is look at how freaking stubborn and resilient we are. You know, we have so much strength inside of us. We just need to leverage it properly. Tell me about joining Cafe RE and, and how was that first month that you, you wanted things to be differently because you had thought about it before, maybe tried before, but what was different on December 24th and on? What changed? Mm-hmm. You know, we could do a whole podcast episode on what Cafe RE has meant to me. And it, it's really, in all honesty, it's hard to put into words because... In a lot of ways, it, it saved me. And I'm going to go as far as to say it saved my life because I had to do something different. And Cafe RE was the springboard to connecting 
with others such as yourself. And I didn't realize it, but the connection, we say it all the time, but the connection, it's so powerful. It, it is, it's awe-inspiring how powerful the connection is. Because I was, so Odette, let me ask you a question. Have you ever, I'm sure you have, but at some point been driving down a road in dense fog? Yes. Okay. So that's where, that's how I was operating for about 10 years in, in my, my mind. I was moving, so just like you're driving, but I was in this dense fog and I couldn't, I couldn't see anything beyond the hand in front of my face. And when I joined Cafe RE, coupled with ditching the booze, it's when you, you know, when you come out of that fog, mm-hmm. when you come out of that fog and you're driving and it's like this, everything just opens up, it, 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 you know, this sort of hallelujah moment. Uh, and that's the, that's the best way to I describe it in terms of joining Cafe RE. It's when you come out of that fog and you're like, oh, my God, like, this is incredible. Look at the blue sky. Look at the trees. Look at this. Look at that. And for so many years, I was stuck in the fog. I love this metaphor. Thank you so much for bringing it up. What What a great metaphor, because the other thing, too, about being stuck in the fog, I think, is I was closing my eyes as you were sharing so that I could visualize myself there and it's it it clears up slowly so you start gaining hope as it starts clearing up and you aren't able it's not like all of a sudden in 0.2 seconds the sky is blue and the fog is completely Mm -hmm. gone I feel like it's a it's a small progression it starts clearing up and the more you stay in it the more you can see the blue sky and and it's such a good reminder that like a lot of the times we think that once you make the decision, everything is going to be easy. Once you drop the bottle, everything is going to be easy. But it does take a little bit of sticking, still being cautious and still being like, okay, there's still a little bit of fog here, but I can see a little bit of light coming in. So I'm just going to stay the course, stay the course, baby steps, and and you come out. So yeah. I love this metaphor because there is a lot of emotions, and I love telling people that I – a hundred and fifty percent believe that anybody can do this, but but yes. that it's full of ups and downs. I also like being very real yeah. with people and telling them like it's going to be hard. You can do it, but we can do hard things. But it's going to be hard, and it is. It's worth it. But it the, is. There are going to be moments where you're like, oh man, this is almost harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, you know that just because we get sober doesn't mean that you know curveballs in life and and shit that happens doesn't you know doesn't stop. I mean, things happen, but my, our ability, my ability to deal with those curveballs that come my way is night and day different. And you know, coming out of that fog and you're right, it doesn't happen overnight and you start seeing glimmers of the sun and then it just continues to open up. And that's where cafe RE comes in. Oh, that's something I didn't even share with you prior to us hitting record was about 45 minutes before you and I jumped on here. I got a text from a cafe RE member that essentially said, I'm having a really rough day and I'm experiencing some emotions that I've, I've haven't, I haven't, I haven't experienced in a long time. And I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to start drinking today. And I called her and we had a 20 minute conversation where we just let it out. And look, Odette, as you know, I, I'm not a therapist. I don't have this shit figured out at all. I'm still working through it too. But 
the mere fact that within a community, we were able to connect on a moment's notice and talk about what she was feeling and saying, it's okay. And I was so proud of her for reaching out to somebody because I can't count how many times that I've been in that situation that she was and I didn't call a soul. And then we know what would happen. Yeah. So that's, that's the power of connecting. And she sent me a text after and said, I can't tell you how awesome it was to talk to you. And she did all the talking, right? And, and just, so that's, that's why Ari is so special. That, that's right there. That's it. Yeah, she, she just needed to talk to somebody. And, and geographically, we have people all over the world, which is great because you never know when you're going to get hit by a craving or an uncomfortable feeling. And I love that there's most likely going to be someone up no matter what time I post on Facebook <laughs> because there are people mm -hmm. in London or Australia. So it's a great network. You know, we, we usually speak of network in a business setting and that's mm -hmm. not exclusive to business settings. You know, we have an amazing network where we are in the business of helping people and all of our members are part of that. So I love that you shared that with me. And like you said, we don't have to do much other than hold space for people. You know, we, we don't, we're not therapists. We don't offer solutions. You know, it's just people need to be heard and validated mm -hmm. and we have those friendships, which to me are extremely valuable. So I'm really happy that, that you found it valuable as well. And you said that in the past, it's been hard reaching out and asking for help. What works for you when you have a craving? Now that you have a resource, what do you do when, when you have a hard day, Alan? Yeah, I, I've learned a ton of tools in Cafe RE, and some of them I've received from you, Odette. Uh, but I think the biggest one that I've that I've found useful is is Paul's from his book and from many times on this this very podcast. Uh, play the tape forward. Uh, you know, I, I I have the ability now, and it took some time, and but now it's almost instinctive that if I have a craving, and I sort of romanticize sitting on my porch and having a beer or a glass of wine, or you know, all of the good times. It's funny, it's funny, right, Odette? Our our brains. The very front, first and foremost, is this romanticizing of, of the drinking and all of the good times. And buried away is all the crap that comes with it. And we got to pull that up. You know, we got to pull that up. And, and so by playing the tape forward, I pull those memories up. And while the romanticizing about sitting on my back porch having a beer or a drink is there, I also pull forward what will happen after that which is I'll have a beer, a glass of wine, then I'll have five more, three shots of vodka and, you know, uh, a glass of whiskey and not remember the night at all. And God knows what transpired between when I blacked out and when I went to bed. So that is playing the tape forward. I've seen the movie, Odette. I've seen it. I know the end. There is no reason to watch that movie again. That is one of my favorite tools to this day because we do tend to remember the good and mm -hmm. if we play the tape forward, if we remember that night where Morgan saw you, if we remember just a, a day where we couldn't even wake up the next day, it's such a good 
source of fuel to just make it through the craving that we know is only going to last around 20 to 30 minutes. That's why you help this member, right? Because you talk through it. By the time she hung up the phone, the craving probably had subsided. But when we're in it, we Correct. think like, oh my God, the world's going to end if I don't do something about it. But it's for me, it's so helpful to think of like, this thing has a timeline. This wave is going to run its course. And when it's done, I'm going to feel better. So I should pick up the phone or go for a walk or something. So I love that tool. And tell me a little bit more about your family. How has the dynamic changed in the last almost six months? How is life at home different now? My wife looked at me about three, two months ago and said, you're like a new person. In that, in that I'm present. You know, th- there's a presence here. And, and I was... I was never an angry drunk around my kids or my, my family. I, I never, I was more of a, towards the end, a sloppy drunk, right? Hence the December 23rd, uh, you know, I, but I never, I, I was just wasn't present. And I, I have regret for that. I have regret for that, that even though I've been a dad that's always been there physically, gone to all the sporting events and the games and, and been there for homework and this, that, and the other. I never was really present in any of that, even when I wasn't physically drinking in those moments. Again, the fog, the, 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 the dense fog was there for many years. And when you're in that fog, you're not present. And, and so that's been the biggest change is that it's the little things of being present and recognizing that we only have today. We only have this very moment and I'm going to take advantage of it and that's being present with them. And so it's just, it is like a new life in a lot of ways, Odette. It really, really is. Yeah, we we walk ourselves back to who we once were. I love just, I was just talking to someone that I interviewed yesterday and I, and I said, it's so, this journey is so full of childlike emotions, but it's always supposed to feel that way, right? We're always supposed to feel that clarity and that presence and that extreme joy and feeling more sensitive and connected to our intuition. Like I have young kids and I can see it in them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, at some point that gets lost along the way. And a lot of that we do to ourselves, right? So I feel like this is a path of us walking back to something that's always been there. And it doesn't have to do with age or anything. You're just kind of reconnecting with yourself and Luckily, with all of those that share a home with you and all of those people around you, because of course your wife noticed. I mean, I have a husband too. And when he stopped drinking, I was like, oh my God, you are like a totally different person right now. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And the joy that I see in her and more subtly in my kids, but, but certainly see it in them too, it just drives me forward. And when I burned the ship, and for the listeners that don't know that what that is, most of them probably do, but when I admitted and told my daughter Morgan that I was quitting drinking and that I was getting support in this effort, you know, that was a massive accountability step for me and one that I wouldn't I would not go back on. I can't. I can't. So it, it's just really helped fuel the passion I have for sobriety and even helping others in sobriety. That's amazing because you're teaching them. I told Paul we need to make T-shirts that say, 
recovery runs in my family because the, the line that we hear all the time is addiction runs in my family or cancer runs in my mm. family and this inability to change our paths and we all have that power. So I was like, I want to be surrounded by people that say recovery runs in their family and that's, that's what you're doing. And I also read not long ago something about there's no perfect parent, obviously, but when, you, when your kids see you save yourself, then they will know how to save themselves whenever it's their turn for whatever struggle that, mm-hmm. that happens. But by you taking responsibility for yourself, it's, it's such a gift that you're giving to them. So it just, it makes me smile a lot in it and it fills my heart. So great job on that, Alan. Yeah, thanks, Odette. And, and it's, you know, I, I didn't want to be somebody, a dad that they described down the road of, I didn't want it to go like this. Tell me about your dad. You know, my dad was a great guy, good dad, but, but he couldn't figure out the alcohol thing or he couldn't get a grasp on his drinking because that but was coming. That but was coming. And I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. I don't want the but. I don't want the but. I'd rather just end that he's a good guy and a good dad and I love him. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Tell me what have you discovered about yourself in the last almost six months that you, that you didn't know about you? That I'm smarter than I thought I was. Uh, it just in, in what I mean by that in sort of tongue-in-cheek way is that I, I have the ability to process and juggle a lot of things in life way more than I used to. And I just, I have the ability to handle whatever life throws at me and I can deal with it. Odette, if I had a a dollar for every time that something would happen and it just happens all the time. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic for crying out loud. How many times something would happen unexpectedly and I'd fly off the handle. And I wouldn't know how to deal with it. I, could, I, I would get so stressed and anxiety and all of it and turn to drinking because it would fix it for temporarily, only to add fuel to that fire of anxiety and self-loathing and depression. So my ability to process all of the difficulties in life, I'm really su- I'm surprised and pleasantly surprised, obviously, at my ability to handle that kind of thing now. You can do hard things, Alan. Can. Yeah. You, I can. You can do hard things, and, and we sur- we've already survived all of our bad days, so we can definitely continue to survive them. Because like you said, I mean, look at us now. The challenges will continue to come, but you know you can stay, right? That You can stay there with yourself, with your feelings. So I love that. I feel like you've gained a lot of confidence, and that's inspiring to hear. I have one more question for you before we reach the rapid fire round. Are you ready for this final question? I am ready, yes. If you could talk to Alan on December 24th of 2019, what would you tell Alan? I would tell Alan to connect. Connect with like-minded individuals as soon as you possibly can. And do not attempt to go at this alone. Again. Yeah, so... I, I have another question. I know I said that I, I can take it back because I'm the host and I can do whatever I want. You're the so, host. You can do whatever you like. So yep. question, tell me, <laughs> had you tried this many times before your date by yourself? I had probably th- four times legitimately 
making it 90 days, 30 days, uh, two, three weeks. And, and, and again, no connection, mm-hmm. no outreach, no support, no education. Yes, I read some quit lit books, uh, but very, very high level and superficial, essentially going at it alone, kind of definition of a dry drunk during those spells. Yeah, white knuckling it. And I, I'll tell you this much. I've been in Cafe RE for, I think I'm coming up on three years here soon, but I don't even remember what it was like before you joined, Alan. <laughs> I, again, I, I could go on and on about what RE's meant to me. And it, it, has, it has been a game changer for me. And I'm just so excited because this is just the beginning. I'm, I'm just, I'm so incredibly impressed with what Paul and the likes of yourself have been able to do. And it's just getting started. And it's just so exciting to be associated with such an awesome community. Yeah, you're a part of it. And I'm excited too. We have a lot of plans and a lot of projects and we dream big. So I'm glad that you're going to get to grow with us. It's great to have you. So are you ready for the rapid fire round, Alan? We're going to give you 30 seconds or less for the next couple of questions. I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Okay, perfect. Tell me, Alan, what do you bring to a party or an event where you're supposed to technically show up with your own drinks, but now you come with your favorite NA drinks? What do you bring? I am bringing bubbly and probably one 16-ounce can of Monster Energy drink. Yes. Not very good for me. I get it. I get it. Uh, but I, I treat myself, uh, to, a to a monster energy drink to, to kind of get the juices fired. I love that. You have to treat yourself. Plus like we drink bubbly every day, all day. So something has to feel a little different on those special occasions. So you go get your monster. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What is a drinking myth or something that you thought that would happen once you quit drinking that didn't happen? Something that you've debunked along the way. So something that I didn't think would happen that did. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I didn't think that I had the ability to actually have a good time without alcohol. And I know that's cliche. But Odette, I I kid you not, and I know I only have 30 seconds to answer this, so I'm going to be brief. There was a time in my life for many years that the thought of not drinking was the most asinine thing I'd ever heard in my life. Like, are you kidding me? I'd rather you take my right arm than take away my alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, second to the air I was breathing, alcohol was the most important thing. But my ability to put that aside and still function and have a good time and be present and wake up without a hangover and get stuff done, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. I never thought I would say that, but here I am. Do you celebrate milestones, Alan? I do. I I, I celebrate them. You know, I, I'm I'm very proud and, and and ready to hit six months. But I also know that the the journey will never end. And so, while I love uh, our celebrations in in Cafe Re of, of people hitting milestones, including my own, I understand that you know it's a day and. We're going to focus on it, maybe celebrate it a little, and then we're going to get on to the next one. What are some words of wisdom that you can share with our listeners? If, you, if you're thinking about this path, I promise you, 
I promise you, life is better without the booze. Um, and it can be better. It, it, there was somebody, there's some listeners right now that are listening to this going, I just, I just can't see it. I can't see it. And I was there. I couldn't see it. And I was in the fog. And my advice is, hey, the fog will lift. It will lift. If you can come up with your own, you may have to say adios to alcohol if line. You may have to ditch the booze if line. What would it be, Alan? Let's see. Okay. So you might ought to ditch the booze if you're in the airport, at the airport bar, your gate is right across from you. And so that's the gate you're going to fly out of. But you intentionally miss your flight so you can stay at the bar and continue drinking and just say, I'll get on another one later. Alan, that's a great, that's a great one. <laughs> Tell me you got on the next plane. <laughs> I, I, I did get on the next plane. Um, unfortunately, I did that a couple times and ended up getting stuck in the city and had to get a, a hotel. But, but yeah, that, I'd done that before that I'll just get on another one. No problem. Crazy crazy but now you're here and I'm so grateful Alan I appreciate your time so much I feel like I could talk to you for another hour and I can't wait for listeners to hear your story can't wait to meet you in person next year at one of our retreats and just thank you for everything you do for us at Recovery Elevator I really appreciate you Odette thank you you're doing awesome and 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 thanks for all you're doing for us appreciate it take care Alan bye-bye very well Timari that's a wrap Before I say adios, I wanted to give a special shout out to our listener, Dave. Dave has kept Paul updated with his alcohol-free progress and he recently hit one continuous year of sobriety. Keep it up, Dave. Thank you so much for letting us celebrate with you. Also, if you check out the article that we discussed during today's intro, share it with someone you know. Plant that seed in someone else's mind. You never know when you can be the one to change somebody else's life. Recovery Elevator. How about we just stick to LaCroix? Sounds good? I love you guys. <laughs>